Here's to courageous pioneers who understand a legacy is multifaceted. Welcome to our Legacy Planning Podcast, a podcast for leaders and visionaries of all ages. Whether you are an independent entrepreneur or someone who is part of a family business, you too can leave something of value behind for a greater purpose. Perhaps your legacy will improve workplace cultures, seize authentic moments, or inspire others with your talent. Your host, Angelina Carlton, is the founder of Design Your Legacy, a boutique advisory firm based in Beverly Hills, California. She is a mentor and coach to leaders like you and has contributed to Alliance, a philanthropy magazine, as well as to women in family business. She has been recognized by Los Angeles Biz as an LA woman of influence, as well as by World HRD Congress for her work. Remember, you deserve great coaching because your legacy is worth completing. Good morning. I'd like to welcome Lydia Mendel to the Design Your Legacy podcast series. This morning, we're going to be talking about the three keys to unlocking your birth story. The intention today is to raise awareness to both what may help as well as hinder your legacy, even if it begins on a cellular level, as well as what are a few remedies that we can consider as we navigate our birth story. So let's start learning about this unique introduction to this world of our birth story. Lydia Mandel is an intuitive breathwork and embodiment coach, as well as a spiritual teacher who guides people through life's transitions. She helps them land on their feet and feel fully embodied. She brings over 20 years of experience as a licensed counselor, as well as a registered board certified art therapist. She's also a teacher in her coaching and her healing work. Her training and experience as a breathwork coach and teacher has led her to connections to the wisdom that the body has to offer us. And she passes that wisdom on to her clients. She is is interested in how uncovering birth stories help people um, to recognize their most stubborn patterns and work through them. She is the host of Embody Your Fire Facebook group and loves helping women ignite their fire within. She combines conscious connected breathwork, intuitive coaching, and movement to create individualized coaching and healing sessions to help clients feel alive, capable, and excited about their lives. Welcome, Lydia. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So I'm very excited because uh, (laughs) we connected a couple of months ago, and I have just had so much laughter regarding uncovering this birth story connection and how it affects people. And not only do I feel like we ought to bring it to the male community to have men understand it, but also just to bring it to a wider audience, because before we started recording this morning, I had mentioned this affects people of any income level and it affects people um, regarding their performance in life and and the things that they might not know that is influencing their personality, their decisions, their, what words might you give it? Yeah, so so I think that what what you're talking about is, is how, we don't always know what our birth story is. And when we, when we don't, we may be repeating patterns that had happened that happened as early as our birth or maybe even before our birth um, without even knowing that we're, we're repeating those patterns. And they may be the most stubborn patterns because we didn't have language um, to, to process them at the time. Right, right. And I know that a question you have raised before is, is what have you heard about your birth? So before we jump into that, can you just basically define what a birth story is for any listener or viewer who might not know? Sure. So your birth story really starts, 
it really starts around conception. So what was happening in your parents' lives? Um, what was, did anything tragic or any, any trauma happen during the time when your parent, when your, your mom was pregnant? Um, was, were, were they arguing? Were they happy? Like those kinds of things. And then also, you know, were, were there any injuries? Was, um, was there any negativity around them? Was, was your mom sick? Um, right. So that's about the in utero stuff, but then the birth, the actual story of your birth. So it's, was it a long labor? Were you born with forceps? Were you a C-section? Um, did you have a cord, a cord around your neck? Yeah, <laughs> any of those things. Yeah, so, so and there's so many different ways that people are born that we forget about. We think, oh, right. babies are born and that's that. Were you a breech baby? Like, you know, so there's, there's a variety of things, so. And, and it's so interesting because that impression that it leaves on us we might not think that it could or would leave an impression. And yet when you started to talk about the, the I, I might call it the benefits and the consequences and the side effects, it all of a sudden brings to life that those are the moments where not only are we like a sponge absorbing everything in our environment, but how we might then view the wor world, view authority, view doctors, yeah. view all of those moving parts. And, and so anyways, okay, so... Um, so let's go back to that question of, you know, what have you heard about your birth? So I, I'm, and so where I'm pointing the flashlight here is where the beginning of a pattern starts. Mm -hmm. So if somebody says, and I don't know if you want to bring up a case of like the C-section baby and then a pattern that starts. Yeah. So um, for instance, um, I've worked with people, you know, somebody who was saying every time I start something, I can't seem to finish it. Or I feel like I can't make decisions on my own. I feel like I can't do things for myself. Um, I, I'm always doing things wrong. And then when we started to uncover the birth story, the story was that that particular client was a C-section and birth. So, so when you, for people who are born through C-section, some of the patterns that we've noticed are not being able to do things themselves. Um, because they had to rely on someone else to arrive. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Often um, might be indirect in their communication, might feel manipulated by people, might have a hard time completing things or making decisions, might crave physical touch mm -hmm. um, because of not like having that like immediate touch. And just this idea that I can't finish things. And, and, and in the, um, you know, the creation of, of these, these sort of birth story, um, narratives you know, and narrative characteristics um the the folks who who came up with those who are some of the some of the founders of the um rebirthing breathwork community um what they noticed is it and what they thought about was how people haven't completed the journey like through the birth canal and so that's where that i can't do things myself i, I can't use my intuition those kinds of things can come up for people who have c-section births or I can't trust myself or yeah. 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 I can't yeah. Trust my decision-making. I can't trust myself to be with other people. I don't know how to show up for myself. I don't know how to be safe in my body. Yeah. And I think that's, again, I just thought this was such a powerful conversation because when I look at when clients are stuck as an adult, mm -hmm. could, could this be a factor? And it's one of those, what I might call like a rock we never turn over a place we never look in our detective work to figure out how do we shift this client forward? How do we get them to continually, what I might call define, develop and execute mm -hmm. in the accountability to keep transforming and growing? Because as we all know, 
happy humans are growing humans. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So yeah. yeah. And, and even, um, and I just want to circle back to a moment, even in that, the, the part about when somebody's um, nine months in utero and world events, like was, was Vietnam going on, the Vietnam war going on then, or a certain war or something like the JFK murder or something that then affects the thoughts of the mother, which then can obviously affect the thoughts of the baby. I mean, we only think that if the mother eats a certain food, ice cream, right. ketchup, whatever, that, that that influences or has an effect on the baby. But yeah, we, we, we rarely consider the, 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 the mental thoughts, the environment, her feelings. Right. Mm -hmm. And also like, you know, if the mother's nervous system is all jacked up because they're, they're anxious about something or there's something going on in the world or they're, or they're afraid of something that also gets translated into, um, you know, anxiety for, for the baby as well. So, so, you know, if you're, if you have a sort of an anxious, you're in an anxious womb, you know, um, you're, you're likely to be, to have some of that anxiety later on in life or, or early in life. Yeah, and I think going to the origin of it, of why am I so anxious? And then discovering, oh, by the way, I think that for, um, I don't want to call them adult children because that's normally associated with other conditions. <laughs> right, but yeah. I think for adults that um, can, if, if their parents are still alive, the, the ability to ask their parents those questions of, you know, what was it like uh, that moment? Were you stressed out? How were the doctors treating you? Did you have to fight for my life? Mm -hmm. and, 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 and to find out what I, I would call that quality information, if the parents are still alive, if they're not, then uh, I think that this process can be a little bit more difficult, but it still raises one's awareness regarding what can influence their personality today. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, it's it's fascinating, and and I honestly, when I first started learning this, I thought, can this really be true? And then I started noticing as I was talking to people and knowing what their birth stories were, like, wow, I really see that. Um, my my husband was a fast birth, like he he was the kind of person he was he, oh, the, he the story is he almost came out in the car, you know, so he was just like she, you know, water broke, he was coming out, right. Um, so he is, he and, and, and I just want to, I'm sorry, I just want to interrupt you real quick. And it's, it, it's interesting how often parents and family and friends and associates repeat that story. He was a fast yeah. birth. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. he, yeah. So he, he nearly came out in the car, but what some of the characteristics are of a fast birth are, they feel like they're, they're always waiting for people. They feel like, um, you know, time isn't on their side. Like they have to rush, they have to be fast, they have to be, and I'm, I'm kind of a fast birth too, but maybe it, I have some other stories I'll tell later, but um, yeah. And so what he has had to learn is patience. He's had to work really hard on being patient um, because, and, and trusting that things are actually gonna show up for him, even if he's not fast, like it's safe to go slow. That's huge, that's huge. Yeah. And yeah. I. And I love that you brought up that story that now there's an, like an, an example of an adult who can, who can connect the two and mm -hmm. say, oh my goodness, yeah, there was a blind spot, but now I see the origin of that behavior yeah. or that belief system. Yeah, yeah. And I was just thinking like he, he's, he likes to run. So when he had an injury, he walked and he said, I walked and it was okay, you know, it was just as effective um, for exercise, you know, but it was like, oh, I don't have to be moving so quickly all the time. 
So even, you know, even if the patterns continue to come up, you, at least having an awareness, you can do some things to slow them down or to change the narrative around them. Absolutely. And we'll get to the remedies uh, in the second half of this. I just thought, yeah, we'd break down some of the the different uh, entrances into the world. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, um, and I love again, that you connected that, you know, I might call it like an unconscious or a subconscious belief system of, you know, and, and they say in, in, you know, human nature, how we do one thing is how we do everything. So when you have that aha moment of I can walk and it's still effective, right. that can be such a, a thought shift to somebody. Yeah. It's a big deal. It is. A, yeah. It's an absolutely big deal because a lot of times people think there's only one way to do something and they'll, and that there right. will be results. And then when they learn there could be a second possibility, it, it's like, it's like just yes. like mind-blowing yeah <laughs> yeah it is it's absolutely mind-blowing because I think people sometimes they get um I don't want to say stuck in something but they think that it, it's only like this and then it's like mm-hmm. when you crumble those brick walls right yeah, yeah. it's amazing it's like it's like a light light shines down from the heavens and it's like ah, <laughs> angels and, and they're like wow this is there's another way to do this and nobody ever told me yeah right yes they yeah. always forget to give us the memo in the white paper. Right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, would you speak a little bit about um, the, the babies that come into this world with the cord around the neck? And, and, yeah. and I just want to explain briefly to the um, listener or to the viewer that we had originally connected through the Lady Maid community and there was a group of women and they were very lively and, and talkative and chatty because this was so personal to them when they were discovering the connections in real time. So yeah. yeah. So, so um, babies who are born with a cord around the neck or adults who are discovering that they were born that way um, often can feel strangled in relationships. Um, they might not like their top button buttons or like not like wearing ties or not want anybody to be anywhere around, touching around their neck. Sometimes they'll sabotage their own creativity, um, maybe even create some life-threatening circumstances or situations or put themselves in harm's way it's like they're kind of like wired for struggle like if Mm. i need to struggle to survive is really the message uh, that um cord around the neck births um will will the message the the highest message that they're receiving and then um i'd say you know they might feel cut off from their emotions or feel entangled in relationships so i want to ask a really simple question right here and yeah. why do you think that is? I know it might be obvious to you or I, but why do you think that is? Well, I think it's because if your first entrance into the world is, is I can't breathe, you know, or, I, or not being able to breathe or needing somebody to disentangle you literally um, in order for you to survive. So the first breath uh, the first breath is is arduous. It's difficult, and it's and and I can I, I'm imagining you know for for a baby, their heart is beating fast. They're trying to you know they're trying to breathe, and then somebody lets them you know that first breath um, can feel like fear. I think yeah. it's, it's a fear. It's a fear of coming into the world and a fear of being alive. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's like a life and death almost theme there. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's it's definitely. Um, it feels a lot like it, like like the idea of being strangled, like using that as a metaphor. So strangled in relationships, strangled in decisions, strangled in struggle, and and also this idea that 
struggled in daily life. Sorry, go ahead. Everything is a struggle and everything is an obstacle, you know, because my first entrance into this world, if you're one of those babies is, you know, I'm stepping in, I'm trying to come into this world and I'm not allowed because I have this beginning obstacle first, you know, like right out of the womb. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about an unfair advantage or or an unfair, yeah, yeah. And it can repeat over and over, you know, in people's lives. And if you meet people who are constantly struggling, even though they have, they might have all of the benefits and all of the privileges and everything they need to to be successful. But if they're continuing to, um, to sabotage themselves or to feel like threatened in in most situations, then they might be somebody with a cord around the neck. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What, yeah, it's quite a struggle. It's like, welcome to this world. Here's your first struggle. Yeah, like yeah. If, we'll meet you with struggle. How nice, yeah. you know, it's terrible. It's, it's, it's really sad actually. And um, yeah, yeah, I, I, and I feel like the, the um, there's also, there's the, uh, and then think about if you're being born and you have this cord around your neck and you're, you're anxious or you're having this, this response, you don't know what's going on anyway because you're out of the womb. And then Matt, you're still attached to the mother and your mother is also probably freaking out. Yeah, save my baby, save my baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's sort of this, this like symbiotic relationship that's being taken apart and then disentangled and you're not necessarily put onto the, you know, onto the, the mother's belly or their chest right away because they're probably checking the baby for, you know, to make sure they can breathe and, you know, clearing the airways and, you know, all that other stuff. Yeah. yeah. So, so it's, it's, that's a tough one. Definitely. And I think, I think a lot of people exhibit those traits and, and they might know. not know, they might not know that they even had the cord around the neck and they might've had it only for a small period of time. And it might've come come around. Like, like when I was, um, I was in a class one time and one of the teachers was saying to me, I'm getting cord around the neck from you. You got a lot of struggles. This is many years ago. And, um, and I was like, no, I never heard that before. And they said, stop defending your normal birth. It might've just been for a hot second, but it might've been enough for you to, to have some of those struggles. So, so that was interesting to me too, to, to think about it that way, that it's not just always this big dramatic, you're being born and you've got this cord around your neck, but it could have been around your neck and then not around your neck as you're moving around in there. Yeah. And, and touch is also so huge for babies. So that when you mentioned before the, the vital three to 10 seconds where maybe the baby wasn't placed on the mother's chest mm-hmm. in the baby's yeah. mind, that could be like a millennial, like a millennia. Yeah. 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 Because they don't have a concept of time. Right. And they yeah. have a, don't have a concept of being outside the womb. Yeah. You know, so all that pre-verbal memory. Um, there's actually, I, this is so interesting. I, now I'm thinking of this story. So I, I saw I saw a video and it was about a mother and a daughter who were not, who didn't bond. And I think the baby was taken away quickly because she had some problems. And so they went to this play therapist and the child actually reenacted the birth with the dolls and the toys. She, she gravitated towards hospital stuff. Okay. She actually, really, she reenacted the whole thing, but instead of the baby being taken away, the baby was put on the mother. And that, nice. actually, and that healed their relationship. That's really nice. Yeah. And, and it's wild, like, because it's in that weird part of your brain, that pre-verbal memory part of your brain that, um, 
maybe you don't have the words for, but she had the visuals and she, it was a very deep wound for that child. Yeah. And I love that this, the, the solution was so simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Okay. So um, uh, here's one that, uh, uh, what about patterns and families that repeat about, you know, not ready? The baby was not ready the mo- or the mom was not ready. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the not ready kind of coincides a little with the, uh, we'll have similar um, situations um, to the C-section. Like okay. people, people aren't ready for me. People aren't prepared for me. Um, nobody's paying attention to me. Those kinds of feelings might come up. So if, um, or maybe I'm unwanted or I'm not fully yeah, wanted. Yeah. 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 Or I, you know, I'm not wanted or I'm not wanted in a specific way, or I interrupted everyone's lives, like those kinds of things, like feeling like you're always interrupting people, feeling like um, not really, I guess, you know, especially like for an early birth, you know, that, that can just, yeah, preemie even, you can, it could be disruptive. Um, they can feel like they, again, like, you know, maybe they're not complete. Um, maybe they, they don't have enough time for things, stuff like that. Yeah. And, and I just want to emphasize again, that it's amazing how much these messages start at that moment and then get repeated the first 18 years of somebody's life or longer. Mm-hmm. And my, uh, my in-career challenge to anyone who's watching or listening is to find out about the narrative of when you were first born and how yeah. that might affect you today. So here's a hot topic that was very much uh, an emotional touch button during that lady made conversation, which is born the wrong gender. Yeah. So um, I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't think so much now, but I think in the past, a lot, there, there was much more emphasis like on, we want a boy, we want a girl. I, I don't, I feel like people aren't as um, wedded to one or the other as much as they were, you know, 10, 20, 30 years ago. Um, But um, so, so it, so I have a friend who was born a boy, but the whole time they decided he was a woman, you know, she, he was going to be a a girl child. So the whole family was ready for a girl. And then when he showed up, it was like, oh, we don't know what to do with this. So disappointment. Yeah. So they can feel like they had, they're disappointing people or that they're, um, be, they're being a disappointment or they might be disappointed by other people, um, might feel really resentful in relationships because they don't know what to expect, mm-hmm. um, feeling unaccepted. Sometimes puberty can be really difficult um, because that message in, the, in their minds is saying, well, you should have been a girl and then you know puberty happens and you're a boy and you know boy puberty <laughs> happens. It's like, it's a different kind of situation. So, um, it's a, con- yeah. it, it le- I think it adds confusion. It adds a lot of confusion. And I think when families prepare for somebody and, and, you know, I, and I think when I think about it more and more, I think about it like um, people who were born like 30, 20 years ago or 30, 40 no, I'm thinking, see, I'm thinking my age, but 30 years before that, um, which I'm, and I'm not, <laughs> anyway, but people were born a long time ago. I like, think we'll that say there 50, was value, 60, there 70s. Was value, right, there was like a lot of value placed on 
specific orders of children, like you have a boy, then you have a girl, um, or you have, you know, sons and not daughters. And, and depending on where you are culturally, there's definitely, um, you know, some value judgments on, on which type of child you produce. Sure. Um, yeah. I, I was most surprised by the number of uh, women in the lady maid group that were born the wrong gender. Their parents wanted a boy. Yeah. 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 And the reassurance that they needed to find that it was okay to be themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think sometimes when um, you're firstborn, I think a lot of firstborn people are expected to be boys. Mm. You Interesting. know, depend, you know, and, and, and specific, in specifically in, in different, and specifically in some cultures, you know, where boys are more valued, um, you have a boy first. Yeah. Yeah. Then, I yeah. yeah. I just wanted to share uh, two thoughts. The first one is that uh, when I think about family businesses, it used to be that the business would pass to the son. Mm -hmm. You know, it was like Smith and Sons, you know, over the door or right. whatever it was. And, and now a lot of women are coming forward, whether it's the hospitality industry, whether it's wines, whatever that family business is. And now it's the daughters that are stepping forward to manage. And, and, I, and so, yes, I think this world has become in some ways more equal when it comes to talent or um yeah you know who can do, do the job best but you're right, right. i think um 50s 60s 70s and before that it was well it you know in a patriarchal society it will definitely be passed to the son so we definitely want a boy so if a girl comes out the messages that can be around right. that and then how much she can carry that with her the rest of her life like when i was uh <laughs> chatting with dov baron on this legacy series he mentioned the number of women that used to be men and what he meant by that is that they would just be in their masculine energy because to them that was what was acceptable they had yet right. to accept and or celebrate their feminine qualities as being wonderful as being delightful yeah, yeah. and i think that's that's a huge piece of it too is if you're expected so say you're born a girl and you're expected to be a boy um you might only use your kind of the the uh, masculine parts of yourself until you decide that you can you can balance those out masculine feminine whatever that looks like for you and so you know and and to recognize that like your presence is okay as a woman as a man yeah yeah, yeah. i think it's huge i think it's uh it really can free a person because um, if they think, for instance, like how the definitions, like there's uh, the definitions in the dictionary, but then there's how we personally define things. And right. for instance, if femininity is defined as weak or femininity mm -hmm. is defined as unwelcome, right. or whatever words other people may have given to it, given the messages from the first uh, day that we were born in the 18 years that followed, it's very interesting to unravel that and then ask ourselves the question, do we want to continue to believe that? Or do we want to come up with new definitions and new meanings? Right, right. And I think, you know, depending on how open a person is to, to exploring that and how open they are to um, connecting to those different parts of themselves, then um, the, the, like the more they're going to be able to change those and, and find the balance that works for them versus what they've been told, what they've, you know, what they've been conditioned to believe about themselves and about what fem femininity and masculinity look like. Yeah, yeah. And I, th I just think it's, it's incredibly freeing. 
because mm -hmm. it, it yeah. can, like you had said, it can be like a breath of fresh air or a light that shines down from the heavens above. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. All right. Um, what about the drugged at birth? Uh, portions of the birth for the baby so again i'm just touching upon these different areas lightly or if there was adrenaline um, as a part of the birth yeah so so for, for some people, yeah so so for some folks who have um whose moms were given drugs to either knock them out or to decrease pain sometimes they'll feel like they're in a fog sometimes they'll feel unconscious like unconscious in relationships like they don't know how to be um they might um feel like support equals suffocation for them uh, in relationships. Hey. so if i'm getting supported then i'm also being suffocated or i'm also being like kind of fog kind of like it's almost like they're getting damped down like because of the the drugged feeling they may suppress their feelings or feel spacey or check out when things get too emotional okay yeah and and i've seen it i mean i've seen it when i've been in trainings and i've and i've literally seen people nod off like uh, as we're getting to talk about things that are highly emotional and it's it's fascinating is it, is it because it's too much or they've or they've never navigated through those waters before we haven't navigated through those waters yeah, yeah. and when, so when they, things get heightened it's like you know they just do you, you think know, they just emotionally shut down as a safety mechanism yeah yeah interesting yeah it's a it's a safety mechanism and it's it's also a, a condition of of having the, the the drugs in their system so some people will will feel anesthetized yeah. when emotions come up because right. that's the memory is i'm anesthetized yeah yeah we live in such a connected universe and i think a lot of the times we forget that because we think that things are so separate mm -hmm. yeah. yeah it 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 also reminds me of that experiment by dr emoto the japanese scientist and he had the 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 plates of water yeah and, yeah. and he would speak words to the water like i love you or i hate you and then the effect on the snowflakes, the ice, the water crystals. Right. Yeah. And and so of course the the of course there's an effect, you know, but we don't sometimes think mm -hmm. of how connected the things that we say are when we repeat messages and stories over and over again. Right. Yeah. 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 And that's another thing too, is like when you're when you hear the story of your birth some people hear the same story like like earlier i was saying you almost came out in the car or um you know it you know i was in labor for 36 hours or you know you hear the, so people hear these stories over and over so like if somebody's has a long labor they might think i hurt people yeah you know, that might yeah. be the message and then it gets reinforced by the telling of the story yeah so even if there's that cellular memory and then it gets activated by the story triggered verbally absolutely yeah, yeah so uh would you share your story about authority yeah so, <laughs> so our birth story can actually our birth stories can actually um relate to how we experience authority so um when i was being born i came out i had a full head of black hair and i was screaming i just ah! And so, you know, in those days, I, you know, hold the baby up and, and I, and so I was like crying and screaming and the, do, the um, obstetrician said, wow, she's got quite a temper. 
So that's a story that I heard my whole life. So what I realized is like I never trusted people who were in authority positions because I feel, felt like they didn't know how to talk to me. They didn't know how to take care of me and that um, they were stupid. Like that's really how I felt. Like, so when I went to school, I'm like, these teachers don't know what they're doing, you know, or anybody who was, you know, taking care of me or charged with my care for the day, I was always suspect of them. So I think that's an, it's an interesting pattern that I held on to. And then I started to really, when I started to, you know, work with, you know, coaches and mentors and different people who were leading beside me and not sort of above me or telling me, this is how, this is how you are. Um, that's when I think the shift started to happen, but I didn't even recognize that I had a pattern where I was like, I don't know about this person. They don't know what they're doing. You know, bosses, like everyone. <laughs> because that person made such a quick judgment. Right, right, yeah. like immediate. And I think I was pretty angry as a child, most, a lot of times because I, would, I didn't trust that people knew what they were doing and I would become frustrated because I, you know, I, I, yeah. So there's a whole story behind that, you know, and so, so I was like, wow. And so I, I actually did a whole forgiveness process when I was in a training on, on my obstetrician yeah. you know, to release some of that stuff so that I could move forward and say, okay, there are people who are authorities, but I don't have to react to them as adversarial or, you know, I don't have to see them in a way that makes them my enemy or makes them, um, or, or I've proven them wrong before they've even started. Yeah, it's interesting yeah. because when you don't buy into what they say, you're free. Right. Yeah, but when right. you're obviously a baby, that power that they can have over you, even yeah. if it's perception, is overwhelming. Well, they said I blah blah blah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it was you know it's a pre-verbal memory. And when I was little, when I was like three years old, I used to say, I remember when I was born. I remember when I was born. And I could like kind of describe it. So I wonder if it's just that I created in my imagination. Or I really wonder if I did remember being born. <laughs> yeah, and I love the comment you made before. You know, it's I don't have a temper. Oh. You know, I'm a baby. Yeah, yeah. seriously. I'm sort of like, you're gonna tell me I have a temper. I just got out of here. You know, I'm a baby for God's sake. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, how can you have a temper when you don't even know where you are? I know. You know, don't know what right. emotions are yet. So yeah. I think that was hilarious. I'm like, I'm just a baby trying to be born here. Yeah. And, and it's interesting because when that um, obstetrician mm -hmm. said that, then obviously your parents remembered it. The story got told mm -hmm. and retold. Yeah. 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 And then yeah, now, and I, yeah, and neither of my siblings, you know, my uh, my other siblings came out, and they were just sort of docile, and you know, and I was, you know, no hair, and I was just this like wild, you know, wild-haired screaming child going out. So it was very different compared to the others. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah. And I just want to also highlight the uh, the 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 space of freedom that it created when you came to peace with this, mm -hmm. like when you. Yeah unpacked it did the inner work and then and then it, it and then you can show up differently absolutely and i i feel like i've shown up differently as a leader because i don't feel like i don't feel like i'm gonna crush somebody or um actually it made me a better leader because when i'm working with people i feel that i can see them like i can truly see them and presence them and be with them in whatever they're experiencing without my judgment and then ask, ask the questions that I need to ask so that 
I can learn more about them rather than being a leader who just says, you're this way, boom, you know, this is how you are. And it's, it's, it's funny because I was in situations like that. And I would, you know, get like, when I was in college, I, you know, get some stupid job, you know, to do while I was in college. And, you know, I'd work for somebody who was just like authoritarian and this was my way or the highway kind of stuff. And I was like, why does this keep happening to me? And then, you know, once I started to do the work, it really, I had a huge shift and a really, you know, and change where I, I got to work with amazing people who I still, you know, trust and, you know, mentor with to this day. That's wonderful. I'm glad again that you shared that positive story that you did do the work and you're better for it today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's simply from recognizing the pattern. And yeah. I think that's, that's the thing is like, once you know it, then you can see where it's played out in your whole life. And it's like, oh, okay. Now I got something to work on. It's not the thing I thought it was. It's this. Yeah. yeah. And I think a lot of times that feedback is so vital because we can't always see ourselves. And, and the <laughs> advice and um, insights from other people can truly uh, develop us so that we keep growing and we don't just stay in one place. Because one of the things I've noticed as an adult is people can either grow forward and some adults don't grow forward. They could also grow backwards. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 And it's an interesting thing to see because you can tell them, but if they don't want to hear it and they're not ready to hear it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've definitely experienced that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So before we get to some of the remedies and solutions, I also wanted to touch upon something um, that I found just so profound during our last conversation, which was um, a lot of times women weren't believed in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and so mm -hmm. forth when they're in the operating room or with doctors. And I thought, you know, that's so interesting because if the mother gets stressed out, the direct effect that it has on the baby mm -hmm. is, I mean, obvious. And yet so many women struggled with telling their doctor the truth or what they're feeling and being believed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think depending on what era we're talking about, people trusted that the doctor would know what to do or that the doctor would know so they didn't have to say it or they were afraid to say how they were feeling. Um, and also just the way that, you know, babies are born. I mean, in other places, people use gravity. I mean, that's that's how babies, you know, so, so this let's make it convenient for the doctor and put you at eye level of a doctor, you know, with your legs like this, which isn't exactly the most comfortable way to, push out a baby, um, you know? So I think that that's part of it too, is, is that women suffered those like indignities of, of yeah. not having options on how to, how to give birth once it became medicalized. Because I think when, when there was, when midwives were more prevalent and people, you know, years ago, you know, would have babies in the home and things like that, it was a more natural process. But when it became medicalized, I think then it became about the comfort of the doctor. Which again, I just thought was so interesting. I hadn't realized how often the voice of the mother was not heard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that was just the rules. This is how we do it. Um, and totally didn't listen to her. Totally didn't listen to her. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And again, the effect on the baby. So if I bring up narcissism for a moment, so mm -hmm. we need nurturing mamas in this yeah. society so that narcissistic children don't get created which means in my view, women ought to be listened to more. Women ought to be believed more. They ought to be heard. 
Yeah. And, and I mean, you don't, you don't know what kind of kid you're going to get, you know, and sometimes right, right. The birth story, you know, the birth story definitely impacts on that. But I think that more that a, that a woman is um, nurtured and taken care of respected. throughout the process and respected yeah. throughout that whole process, the more that the, the, the little person she gives birth to is going to also feel some of that energy. Feel, yeah. He or she will uh, feel safe or not. Yeah. Yeah. And safety is really what, I mean, people either feel safe or they don't. And I think when you feel safe, then you can grow. When you don't feel safe, you're constantly protecting yourself. You're, um, you know, like deflecting negative negativity um, or expecting things to be adversarial. Yeah. 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 So that's just a plug out there for any of the physicians who might hear this. And I know that I know that things are somewhat different today. But again, I I was shocked uh, with the pattern of the number of uh, uh, (laughs) women who were born who were expected to be male. And I was also just shocked because, um, you know, I'm not necessarily in the world of, uh, you know, kind of this this doing this day in and day out to know the 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 nuances. But I, I just thought, you know, if women could be treated better. Uh, regarding this whole medical process, uh, it definitely can have a, a positive ripple effect then going forward yeah. for the, be- I mean, that's like the start of the race of that child, you know, right. like if it's a NASCAR right. race, you know, the flag goes down. And, mm-hmm. and so if that first moment is like, you know, the, doc- the doctor's not believing her or the doctor's staff or, or they're not giving value to her life or to the baby's life, it just, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And I think that, that women definitely have more options now to like do natural childbirth or, or do natural childbirth in a hospital where, so that if anything is wrong with the baby, they can get help quickly and, you know, or work with a midwife or, you know, so there, there are a lot of, I think that there's definitely a lot of shifting and changing happening. And I think it's because women have demanded it and have been listened to. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but what an uphill battle. It shouldn't have been that way. I know, I know. It's like this natural process and and it's, you know, it got completely medicalized, especially like I'd say like in the like 50s and 60s. And women really had no um, you know, no like what's the word I'm looking for? Um, like presence or, or weren't allowed to to say, I don't like what's happening, or I don't, this isn't working for me, or I don't want to be drugged. Um, yeah. I'm in pain, but I'll, you know, you know, and, and things like that. So, so it's, yeah, I think they, they didn't have agency in the way that women do now. What, yeah. Yeah. And I just want to highlight one more thing and I won't belabor this point any yeah, longer. Yeah. yeah. I just think that <laughs> when that woman also is treated right, not only does it affect the baby that moment, but then when she goes home with the baby and she's got to heal her body and, yeah. and transition and, and a lot of women can go through postpartum depression afterwards and, and, and other conditions. And so again, I just think that when the, the woman can be treated better then the baby's going to be happier because the woman's got to be happy because she's got to be that nurturing element. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think the more, you know, I think that there's just more information, I think, that about how, how to do this in a way that's good for everyone. Yeah. You know, then maybe there was when, you know, oh my God, now we have to do this in a hospital, like these male and all the doctors were male, you know, sure, they're, sure. They're like, I have, oh, no, no more midwives. Ooh, what do I do with this? Like it's a medical condition. It was treated as a medical condition versus yeah. a natural life process. Yeah. 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 Thank you for shining the light on that. Okay. Yeah, sure. So would you introduce any of the remedies or benefits? um, And if you'd like to, whatever you, you pick. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, so, um, so the way that I learned about all these different birth types was through studying uh, rebirthing breathwork, also known as conscious connected breathwork. And the reason we call it rebirthing is because it's about renewal. And it's also about learning about your birth story so that you can kind of, you can, you can re rewrite the story. So, so one of the ways that we do that is through conscious connected breathwork. So I would work with, um, you know, your birth story and any things that might be coming up for a person right now in their lives. And the way that I would do that is in a conscious connected breath work session or rebirthing breath work session where we would do a circular breath uh, for approximately an hour. So usually a session goes, you talk about what's going on, you get some information, you know, an initial session, I would find out the birth story, I would find out, you know, anything that's happening right now and try to make some connections. And then, um, and, and then we would talk a little bit and then breathe for a full hour. So the person is lying down on their back and they're breathing in a circular breath, which means that there's no starting or stopping between the, the inhale and the exhale. So it's a fluid motion. So it's kind of looks like this. I don't know if you can really see it, but. So in, in through the nose, out through the nose or in through the no, mouth and out. Oh, through the mouth. oh okay. So we're breathing right directly into the lungs. So we're not sort of bypassing through the nasal passages. We're going straight into the body and, um, and just, and breathing. It's almost like, like, you know, when you take your first breath, you know, you're breathing through your mouth usually. So it's, it's breathing in a way that calms the nervous system. And it also may, um, you may release some energy. So a lot of people have a release of energy or release of emotion while they're breathing. Some people actually re-experience their birth, but that's not really our goal. Um, you know, we're not trying to make you remember your birth. We're not trying to make you feel any specific way. It's really about whatever comes up for you because your body isn't going to let you um, experience anything that you're not ready for. Yeah. And it's fascinating because if our bodies are made out of what, 90% water, I don't remember the exact statistic, yeah. Yeah. then of course it holds memory, just like those Emoto snowflakes, yeah. Dr. Emoto. Yeah. So, yeah. so as you breathe, it's like you can let go of certain memories or you can let mm -hmm. go of certain emotions that might be clogging the system from yeah. higher yeah. vibrations and flow. Right. So people may feel certain, like, like some people, I've had people where their feet just feel cold. So I have them like, like move the breath, like imagine the breath going all the way down to your feet and really breathing life into the entire body. Mm -hmm. So it's really about experiencing your aliveness and being who you are in this moment and that you're, you're safe and to do it in a safe container yeah. where you can experience the emotions, talk about what's coming up from you and then breathe through it so that you actually complete some of those emotions because so many times we we hold things in when we start to feel things rather than crying or laugh i mean i've had people laughing hysterically and you can heal just as well from laughing or crying or screaming you know so it's yeah. so i think sometimes people have this idea that if i if they don't cry or they don't emote enough that they're not doing it right and they're not releasing but sometimes it's it's really funny um you know and something really disturbing can be really laughter could be a way to release that so and sometimes you, you know you're always releasing you might not know what you're releasing but ev with every breath you're releasing something a little bit more yeah and i also wanted to add to what you're saying that it allows somebody to become fully present when they are safe that moment in that breathing because yeah. I can see so many people out there and some people are fully present, but there's a yeah. whole bunch of people who are not fully present. Their mind is somewhere else. 
mm-hmm. you know, whether it's on this, what's stressing them out or a past wound, or it's just somewhere else, or they're just, mm-hmm. yeah, I also see it like if they're behind the wheel and it's like, they're just zoned out in, I don't know, some other yeah. place. And, 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 and that's not because traffic is boring. That's because they just aren't fully present. It's like, they're even dragging their body around. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because I I was talking to a friend who also does this work and it's like, you know, when you go into a store or somewhere, like you can really tell when somebody's, we call it like unconscious, you know, they're sort of not consciously doing that unconscious, like, you know, really unconscious, but not conscious of, of how they are in their body. And it's, it's fascinating. So, so the cool thing about doing the breath work is that you're, you have someone holding space for you. Yeah. and you get to do, you, all you have to do is breathe and just let whatever comes up, come up. Yeah. And sometimes it's blissful and peaceful. And sometimes it's, you know, there's a lot of moving around and, you know, or crying or being upset, or sometimes it's just, it's really relaxing. So it just, it really depends on where you are and what you're, you're releasing. And, um, and it's always helpful because it brings aliveness into your body, it oxygenates your cells so that you're, um, you're feeling more alive. You're feeling more connected to your body, and that's the that's the coolest part is that you're fully connected to your body when you're doing this. And and it takes some practice and some skill because people are used to separating from their bodies. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. This is an invitation for clients to check back in compared to checking yeah, out. Absolutely, and and the the I always say like like I used to have this period of my life where I was like this like little floating head and I just float around and then I have this body that just carried me my head places and you know whatever and um you know and then like when I started doing this work and I started doing dance and other things I was like oh okay I am dropped in and it like drops you into your body and it feels and and then people really get to experience what feeling alive feels like versus what they decide to tell themselves it feels like. Yeah. Yeah. And life can be more interesting than just existing. Yeah. 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 So I'm going to do a plug for coaching right here. (laughs) (laughs) This coaching and psychology type mindset where that uh, coach, one of the benefits of coaching is when um, Mm -hmm. a coach holds that space yeah. And, 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 and then the magic happens within that bubble. And not only does that magic happen within the bubble, but also in between sessions, you know, it could be a yeah. Wednesday night and all of a sudden that aha moment hits them, or they make space for more because they made space for, you know, a new concept in that one moment of the bubble. And then they can go out and start to make little small changes that are positive in their life, you know, such as checking back into their life compared yeah. to, and checking back into their body even. Yeah. And I think that's the, that's the magic of coaching and breath work and breath work coaching and all of it together is just that people, it does, it's not necessarily exactly what happens in the session because our bodies continue to heal and to change and to grow outside of session. And then when you, when you connect again, it's, you know, sometimes people say, wow, you know, like you said, like, you know, I, I saw you on Tuesday, but on Friday I had this like amazing, like, aha moment and it's and and that's like the beauty of it is it's not like you go and somebody does something to you and then you think you're done because I think there's a lot of like spiritual bypass that happens or learning bypass so I'll guess I guess I'll call it where people say okay I went and I had this thing and now I'm done um I'm good now and and you know I, I feel like like healing and becoming yourself is, is like a lifelong process. Like I'm not saying you have to be doing like hard work and 
unearthing everything forever. But I think if you want to be, um, you know, sort of a like a like a, a a human being who's growing and changing and um, learning more about yourself every day, um, that's that's where this this comes in, like this the, with the coaching or breath work, and, and where people get to experience it outside of the session. And so it's really cool. <laughs> it is really cool, and it it. Um... It allows them to to be in their life compared to when does five o'clock happen or I'm just right. I'm rushing to get to the end of my life. It's like no, come back into your life, enjoy this experience. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and I'll also do a quick Very plug cool. for legacy that um, it, one of the things that surprises me the most is is lack of self worth mm -hmm. is one of the greatest determinations of whether someone will carry out their life's legacy. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that was such a shocker to me because that pattern came up again and again. And I thought, you know, it's not college education. It's not net worth. It's not assets in the, on the portfolio. It's how they feel about themselves. If they're worthy enough. Yeah. Yeah. There are people who have none of those things, but have just been so such important figures in people's lives and they feel great about themselves and they shine that out on everyone. And that's their legacy. Yeah. 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 So again, that's why I wanted to bring up this unlocking your birth story, because what if somebody's idea of their worth, their self-worth came from that first moment or those nine months or right. something that was beyond their control, but yet that story commences and then gets repeated. And, and then we think that we are glued to that story and we, we don't have to be. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. So would you share uh, the second remedy? Yes. Okay. So oftentimes what I'll do as I'm working with somebody, um, Doing, doing breathwork coaching is we'll, we'll work with affirmations. So I'll give you some examples. So say for somebody, so, so the, um, somebody who is a C-section birth, I might say something like it's safe to be in my body um, or I forgive myself for doing things differently. It's and safe to finish things. It's safe to finish things. <laughs> Right, because oftentimes people who have had a C-section birth have trouble finishing things or need help finishing things. It's, you know, so so I would say, you know, I'm safe in my body. I'm safe, you know, it's safe to finish things. So the way that I would do that is, um, so I'll have people write out their affirmations, and I have write them 15 times a day for a week, just Which just to just to get that into their into their brains that to to change the message. So what we're doing is we're changing the message. The, and, the, and the neural net, yeah. What I'll do is I'll have them do their affirmation. I'll write a line down the middle of the paper, affirmation on one side, and then um, their response on the other side. So what so, I love about this is anybody can do this. Yeah. Anybody can do this if they have a pencil and a paper anywhere right. in, in the world. And, and the yeah. greatest uh, villain in all of this is going to be the voices in our head that right. want to right. So you have the paper, right? And it's backwards for you guys, but you know, so your affirmations on this side. So you can say, you know, it's safe to finish things. And then your automatic thought on this side. No, it's you not. Know, so, <laughs> no, it's not, right. So it's, no, it's not. And you say, it's safe to finish things. You say, I'm afraid to finish things. You know, so, so what that does is it, it gives you recognition of what those thoughts that maybe you don't even realize you have about that particular topic. So if you notice that you're not finishing things a lot, 
Um, but this really brings to light the messages, the, the subconscious or unconscious messages that you're telling yourself. Because we get these, we, we think the same, so many thoughts all day long, and most of them are the same thoughts over and yeah. over and over and over. So you might not even be conscious of thinking those things. So, so the whole idea is to have you come up with a different story in that affirmation, it's safe to finish things, recognize the, th the thoughts that you're actually having, and then notice as you go through the days of the week, do your responses change? Does your response, um, do you not have a response? Because if there's not, if there's not a response, don't, you don't have to wait for it. You know, you can wait a beat and see, but yeah, notice yeah. that there are no responses. And so, so that's really, it's really a rewiring of your brain around that particular issue. Yeah, I, I just love it because um, it, it's, uh, it's available to anybody if they're committed mm -hmm. to doing the inner yeah. work. And so 15 times a day, that could start at like 7 a.m., 8 a.m., 9 a.m. And it's like really just talk about repetition. And I know that when things are done in play, it's a lot easier on the yeah. mind. Yeah. yeah, it also reminds me of um, when I was chatting with Cynthia Lloyd Darson, what she called the inside team, giving the microphone to those voices in her head and saying mm -hmm. like, yeah, speak now. And so if that voice says, oh no, it's not safe to finish things, at least we we're giving the that the stage or the platform to that voice so they they can you know get out what they need to get out compared to like shoving it down which i think in society right. a lot of times we don't take the time to kind of like flesh out these things we just want to put like a sticker on it and say like fix it <laughs> yeah or i think sometimes people use affirmations where they're just like oh i have them on post-its all around my house but you're not really working with them so yeah. when you sit down to write this 15 times i would do it in one go so you write it and then you get a response write it get a response and do it you know and and you know each day when you do that it's doing the work around it versus just like believe trying to believe something that you're not quite ready to believe you don't have to believe it and affirmations are written in the affirmative and they're written in the present time yeah so that so that you can start to believe in the present time that that works yeah 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 it's very cool i think it's very cool yeah um cool. and yeah. the final question what would you like your legacy to be and or what top three values do you get to honor so i for me i would say i would like my legacy to be um to be a legacy of freedom, teaching people how to be free in their bodies, in their, in their lives, in their minds and spirits. And I'd say my top values are freedom, fun, and, oh God, this, and let's see, freedom, fun, and connection. Wonderful, that's beautiful, yeah. thank you. And um, I definitely believe that when somebody understands the, this connection with our birth story and where they are at yeah. today regarding their choices and behaviors and perspectives, that definitely helps their legacy. Uh, what words might you give it as we come to a close? What words might I give? Can you um, Sure, sure. That when there is a breakthrough in this area, how can that better help somebody define, develop, and execute their life's legacy? So I think when you find out what your birth story is and how it's impacting on your life, you can start to, to make the decision that I don't want this to be how I'm remembered. I don't want to be the person who is never finishing things or the person who is afraid to be fully in their body or, you know, so, so you can recognize that 
and then start to make changes and ask yourself, what do I want my legacy to be? Who do I want to be? How do I want to show up? And how do I want to be remembered? And that's, and I think that's the beauty and the gift of, of knowing your birth story is that it can help you to change a legacy that you might feel is ingrained in you and you can flip it. <laughs> that's powerful. Well yeah. said. Okay. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Lydia. It's been a pleasure to chat with you on this subject. Thank you for bringing your fun and your ideas and this education to whether men are listening or women. And uh, may it bless uh, any of the viewers and listeners out there. Thank you so much for having me. It was okay. really fun. Okay. Thank you so much. Thanks.